Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It does. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't. Doesn't, doesn't. It does. Doesn't, doesn't. Does, 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 does. It does. It's Friday, which doesn't usually mean it's time for the front free, but guess what? It does today. I'm Adam Bowood. He's Lawrence McKenna. He is. And we've also got Dave O'Brien here as well. Well, I have. Are you joining the lads? Literally, a, a little bit worse for wear, Dave, to be honest, aren't you? A little bit. I had a few lagers last night. You just got back to London from Manchester moments ago. How was it? Yeah, it was really good, yeah. Lovely, lovely yeah. trip up. But the football, it was infuriating, to be quite honest, um, as a United fan. It was probably one of the worst performances I've seen um, for the whole time I've been, you know, going to United, going to Old Trafford. Really? The age of whatever. T- it was it was awful. United was so so poor on the ball. Um, it just it infuriated me how the, you know the, the lack of uh, of ability in the centre of the park. I you know under Herrera, Schneidlin, Juan Mata, they were just not good enough. They weren't good enough to wear the shirt yesterday. And it, wow, it seemed like United got bailed out by a very very. Uh, Michelin side that didn't really turn up yesterday. Uh, Memphis Depay was very good, but uh, you know, apart from that, there was a lot of criticism in the performance. Obviously, Rashford took his goals very well, but mm. overall, it was so sloppy on the ball. Again, it's this whole mentality of Louis Van Gaal's got. There's not enough attackers getting into the box. The this team's so so disjointed, and it's just I don't understand what he's thinking. What is you know what he goes out you know in a game like that where you've got to go and score goals with probably one forward and no one joining in and no one getting near him. And I was, I'm massively surprised it won the game 5-1. It's, it's one of the craziest 5-1s I've ever seen, considering I think the, they, the they could pick that. Part of it, I mean, part of it is also that you maybe have to balance that with their performance. I think initially mm. uh, their momentum was... Re- I mean, they started the game very well. I was watching and thinking, I mean, they're on, they're on to take this. And then I think as their confidence went down, Manchester United were allowed to play more football and sort of... You know, I mean, the, the goal for Rashford, where it was cut back, you know, he was just the first to react to it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was poor defending. And I think, yeah. you know, uh, um, you know it's, it's way too easy to draw the lines about, you know, uh, what Michelin is built on, about, you know, all their philosophy and those kind of things. But that's one of the things you actually can't sort of um, uh, plan forward numbers. I mean, you can try your best to, but part of it is that, you know, people's personality and you know, the intangibles, essentially, which maybe you can measure in other ways. Sometimes you just can't measure that. And, and that's what happened was that I think, you know, the youth in United pulled them through this one and one matter, obviously. <laughs> it, was, it was just like, um, it was sort of a team of, of individuals in a way. And I think that's, a, you know, another very, very frustrating thing. The players obviously not playing for the manager. The manager's not doing the right thing. 
So it, it just seems like such a mess at the moment. That's an absolute mess. It was as I, Jose Mourinho would say, a fake result then, Dave. I, I could, mm, well, that's a real result fake. to get them through and it gets them into a very real match. <laughs> it does get them into a very real match, which we will talk about. Shit just got that real, Adam. Shit, shit just, just got, got real. real. As the bad you boys once mm-hmm. said. Uh, Dave, talk to me a little bit about the man of the moment, though, because, you know, Twitter and the internet exploded. People were getting very excited over this kid. Yeah, well, I saw him earlier in the season for the under-19s, and I was quite impressed. He was the standout player for them in a very, very poor United under-18 side, under-19 side, sorry, in the um, UEFA Youth League. He, was, he looked really good, full of energy. He, I think he scored the game. I was, I was watching the Wolfsburg game. He scored a pretty good goal. But he took, his, he took both his goals really well. But again, like Lauren said, it, looked, it was more of like... Um, an individual, you know, defensive error than a, than a clear, you know, clear cut chance creation at time and time and time and time again. You know, it, it, his movement was really good to get into the area for the cutback for both of the goals. And he took, you know, how he sort of opened himself up and, and put it into the back of net was really comfortable. And he looks like a player that can, you know, become something. But I feel that there's a lot of these players, you know, at United at the moment that sort of are in there, in around this sort of scene and are in and out, and it's hot and cold with them a lot. But hopefully, Rashford can continue this, you know, continue mm. the confidence. He's the youngest ever. Um, United player to score in Europe, um, breaking Georgie Best's best record. So, you know, there's there's promise there 100%, but it, again, it just goes back to this. Again, we were crossing the ball to a player that's, you know, again, who's got good movement. He should be getting the ball to his feet and we're just getting going wide and putting the ball into the box again. It just seems, it's like Christian Benteke would suit this United team. Wow. And maybe Rashford would maybe suit this Liverpool team a lot more. That's how it sort of feels at the moment. It feels just... Very broken. As well as the the hero of the night, Dave, you mentioned there, there was also, it was a bad night for the, the Michelin right back, Andre Roma, who was uh, who was up against Memphis Depay, who suddenly decided to have a game of his life. Mm. Completed more take-ons um, than any players managed in a Europa League match he was ever. In, I, did he not make him three times? Three times. The, the worst one was the one where brutal. he, I, I don't know what it's called, no, where you, you sort of step over the ball and then your back oh. comes around and, go, and it went and then play it and it went through his legs. After the after the game, uh, the poor the poor guy Andre Remy came out and said, "I've never been so this close to crying after a match. I'm devastated, and it's not going to be a good night of sleep. He is the best player I've ever faced. It is difficult to argue for anything else when he plays like this. He's really? the best. He can do anything. He will go inside, <laughs> outside, turn me around, and use his incredible pace to get past me. Obviously, I would have loved some more backup, but when I'm the one being destroyed over and over." <laughs> It is not fair to blame my teammates for anything. The poor guy has been crushed by Memphis Depay, of all people. What's wrong well, with being crushed by Memphis Depay? But he's, had, he's had a you know an on and off season. He struggled for form, and all of a sudden, this guy comes up against him, probably like, okay, you know, I'm up against Memphis Depay, a great player, a hot young talent. Probably not expecting to get nutmegged three times though, and be embarrassed so completely. It's probably after those words of wisdom that I gave him on Wednesday night. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. You had a little chat with him, did you? I did. Yeah. Did you get any question? Uh, Dave went to a little Q and A with uh, is it Warrior? Who is uh... Uh, Under Armour? Under Armour. Yes. Mm. Under Armour is new sponsors. You had a little chat, did you? Did you ask him any good questions? Um. So it was a bit of a strange one. Obviously, PR is hot oh, and cold. Yeah. So they, they like sent a question, sent a few questions in that were quite good. They asked answer. They asked one of those questions um, on his free kick te- technique, which was quite interesting. He was talking about how. Yeah. He strikes the ball in different ways from different areas. Obviously, close up, you know, it's more of the side foot precision. Um, and then he talks about the knuckleball from range. He also um, went in to talk about how uh, De Gea and, and Sergio Romero sort of, he'd asked them how they don't like to receive free kicks, like how, what they wouldn't want. And he tries to sort of 
do that in a way, which is quite interesting. And then at the end of the Q&A, I walked over to gra- grab the mic and I asked him um, what his favourite dance move was. Does he listen to the to front To grab the mic. <laughs> do you listen to the front foot? <laughs> Yo, bro. And what's his favourite dance move? Yeah, no, he bottled it and he started laughing. I said, we, I said, what I said to him, I said, we've seen you whip, we've seen you nay nay, but what is your favourite dance move? Whoa, Dave. <laughs> he said what? And you're telling me that Dubai absolutely bottled it, bottled job. Yeah, he bottled it. He started laughing. Um, oh. And I was like, oh, do you like the dab? And he was the like, dab. Yeah, yeah. I like the dab. And I was like, you're going to do it next time you score? And he went, nah, not going <laughs> to do that, mate. Not going to do that, mate. But no, it was, it was interesting. Well, they did win. And that does lead us on to a very big game, which we're going to discuss very shortly. Um, Spurs. Oh. Oh yeah, well, also coming up, we're going to be discussing the FIFA elections with Chris Hennage coming on the show this week, um, not to mention Champions League reaction, a little bit of Conte, a little bit of Zlatan, maybe a little bit more. Comment of the week time though, just want to mention a few comments, a few reviews getting left on the iTunes page, which we much appreciate. If you do want to rate and review the podcast, click the front three on your podcast app, get on there, get maybe a five-star review if you're feeling generous, but give us a little reason why you enjoy listening to the podcast, that's what I like to see. Uh, so we've got Emma, one of the whole, saying, love spending time listening to the podcast. Very fun and knowable. I am the whole. Thank you very much. We've got Matty Jones, 00, said, since coming across the podcast a few months ago, I've loved every episode. Adam Lawrence and Dave, and he's put your name right. There must right. be something wrong with you. Are all quality and make every week a great listen. Would highly recommend it for any football fan. Hashtag I am the whole. I also do need to mention... Uh, a certain individual who's sort of been uh, tweeting. I think he should remain na- nameless. I'll just rem- because he'll remain nameless, but th- tweets. He, he's a little bit upset about not being comment of the week. Um, a little bit upset there was no podcast on Wednesday as well, but he's also offered us, he's offered Drugs. to become an, our official dealer. Yeah. Um, not something I was actually looking for, but uh, you, you will remain nameless. So thank you very much for the offer. I'm going to reject it this time, um, not just because my dad listens to the podcast, but just, you know, morally, all, all sorts of reasons. Adam, you know, your dad knows you've taken drugs. We've mentioned it before on the podcast. <laughs> yes, that was definitely a fact. And, and that was definitely, uh, we only speak fact on this yes, podcast. That's <laughs> definitely not true. And you are, you, it's only fact, and you, you take only drugs of quality, so you're okay. It's very true. Very yeah. true. Does Class uh, A automatically guarantee better quality dogs? No. That's why. Not <laughs> in my experience. Not something yeah. I know of. Things in the Europa League maybe haven't been so exciting so far, but as Lawrence said, shit just got real. Mm. Manchester United have drawn Liverpool in the round of 16, the first time the two rivals will have ever faced off in European mm-hmm. competition. Are you excited, Dave? Oh, yeah. God. You know, Ooh. I was on the train. Ooh. I'd had about two hours sleep. I was struggling, and then you, you flip Twitter on, Man United versus Liverpool, can it's it get any one. better in the Europa League? So excited for this, so, so excited. Are, are, you not, are you disappointed somewhat to not have a, a European tie, or are you... No, no. The, this is the best draw possible, this is Excellent. so good. Especially That's for Liverpool, like mate. <laughs> so how are, you feeling because, how are you, exactly, how are you feeling, Dave, about this? Because uh, I put Liverpool as a slight favourite, as you, as you mentioned, the way Manchester United are playing recently. I think both um, teams have a lot of injuries at the moment, right? You know, if David De Gea gets back fit before that game, that'll be absolutely massive, I think, because he's, you know, the last two or three games that he played Liverpool in the league, David De Gea's come up trumps every single time. That, say, you know, the one-on-one save against Sterling and the brilliant save of Daniel Sturridge the season after. There's just, it's basically we need David De Gea back for this game. He's, it's so, so crucial. But it'd be interesting to see, obviously, uh, LVG does have a bit of a hoodoo over Liverpool, but hoodoo's always meant to be broken, right? So, this could be the time. It's just going to be brilliant, though. It's going to be so, so good. Two legs of proper, you know, two proper former football. giants, in a way, of, of, of English football. 
um, that are going to be coming head to head. But really interestingly enough, United do have Manchester City um, the weekend after, I think, the game. So interesting to see whether United do just sort of like, you know, play the big boys against Liverpool and then mm. put a weakened team out in the league. Because obviously they are six points behind City in the league at the moment. So, you know, qualification to the to the Champions League is looking a little bit unlikely. The Europa League is looking like the most likely option. But again, it's similar for Liverpool. So it's going to be huge. There's so much on this game. And again, Klopp's, you know, he's working with the players now for what is it? Sort of, you know, he's got six months nearly or how many months has he got under his belt now? What four or five months? Mm. Well, I think so, it's about. I think it's five five months now, David. Yeah. So I think four. you'll start to see, right? You'll start to see Daniel Sturridge, who's been really, really good when he's been fit in this Klopp side. So yeah, it's just going to be so, so good. Uh, what are your thoughts then, Lawrence, getting into this one? Liverpool really enjoying their football. I think against um, Augsburg. Uh, not that it game twenty particular um, <laughs> end product because you know they only won one nil thanks to an early penalty, which you'd imagine most people in Germany would call quite harsh. Um, but they were pressing, they were uh, playing uh, intricate moves. Coutinho looked happy, Firmino looked happy, and Daniel Sturridge, uh, his frustration came from not scoring. And that, I think that comes from most Liverpool fans right now. Um, in the back line, they had a really good performance from Sacco and Lucas, but it was still there were still elements of nerves. Um, and you know, I, I still think that it, it shows the progression it shows they can play, you know, exciting, uh, enterprising football with Moreno bombing down the left and Chan in the centre. James Milner's really found a great position within this side right now, not only as sort of a functional player, but as someone who's able to deliver good crosses um, and, you know, try, try and push Liverpool forward down the right or the left or even in the centre. And he, he has quite, a, not a free role, but definitely one where he's observant of how the other players are playing and sort of fills in that space. I think Henderson's probably just coming back towards fitness now which is doesn't make him the weakest link within the side but it makes him uh kind of almost a token player out there at the moment um and I, yeah for me i think i enjoyed watching them you know whether they got a goal or not i, I still enjoyed watching liverpool go forward with firmino coutinho you know coutinho made those comments about Klopp just last week and how he thinks he's improved his game under him and you can already sort of see that playing out there's a lot of intricate back heels those kind of things isn't it there's a lot of players enjoying their football liverpool have four ma- four matches in the next three-ish weeks against <laughs> manchester side and that's punctuated right in the wow. middle by crystal palace and uh away that's now horrible. we all know about we all know about that Mm. So it goes Liverpool in the Capital One Cup against Man City. Liverpool in the league against Man City the following Wednesday. That Saturday they then play Crystal Palace. Then they go to United. Then they have the little break and then they go to United again in Europa League. So, you know, that's a pretty pretty interesting couple of weeks for Klopp. And I'd imagine it's a real time for some of these players to cut their teeth. Mm. It's going to be fantastic. The other standout fixture, of course, is Borussia Dortmund versus Spurs. It's going to be a really great tie, isn't it? Oh, like you've got to. I'm excited. I know, I think you know what's good about it is from an app from the outside, it feels like we're looking at Spurs as a, a big name in this tie now. So it's not sort the, of like the, the, the little second, guys punching up. The second this place team in England tie. versus the second place team in Germany. I exactly, mean. but this is an exciting tie because of that. It is. I think it's going to be as difficult uh, as it is exciting. Uh, definitely going to try and get tickets for this one, but. Um, yeah, I, I'm not massively hopeful of actually coming through the tie. Hey. The thing I think stands us in good in good stead is the fact that wedged between Dor- the, the two Dortmund fixtures, we have got Villa away and Bournemouth at home, which is certainly not the hardest fixtures we could have in the league. Which means, you know, hopefully Pochettino will rotate it uh, smartly so that we can get the best squad up against Dortmund. But yeah, it's going to be one hell of a tie, and hopefully we can go through. 
What I can we expect it's... from Dortmund? Dave, you, you watch Dortmund a lot more than either Adam or I do. What mm. can we expect Dortmund to do against Spurs? I think they'll play the, the similar style. They'll dominate possession. Um, but they are adaptable, aren't they? I think that's the thing with Aubameyang. They've got pace in behind. But it could be quite interesting. We've seen Spurs push up. They're very compact Spurs. So that could be a bit, a bit of a weakness for them if they do manage to you know, slip them in behind. That could be a massive you know, sort of danger for Spurs. They sort of go up too much. They might have to sort of adjust their po- approach slightly. Um, Marco Royce always is very, very good when I watch him. But again, he's been injured a lot this season. Um, created the goal at the weekend uh, for, from a little, quite a nice little run. So it's going to be interesting to see the front three of Dortmund. McTyrian as well, who's done so well in terms of goals and assists this year. But every time I seem to watch him, I think he's, you know, I never see him perform, which is strange. Mm. But they do have the calibre. Gr- uh, Grundewan is injured as well at the moment. I think he's just coming back. So they're, they're in a little bit of a, um, a poor patch of form, you'd say, you know, c- considering the whole season as a whole, how they were banging goals in at the start. They've hit a little bit of a bad spell. So they're playing. So I think Spurs are probably playing them at the best time that they could do in a season. Obviously, they Dortmund may take their foot off the gas in the Bundesliga, you'd say, because Bayern are uh, so far ahead already. So it, it's going to be a really, really good tie, I think. And if this, if it, this is poor, if this is poor form for Dortmund, yeah, then that's I'd what like I mean. to see what that's their what, good form is. Dave, that's because... what I mean. That, that's what I'm trying to put across is that it's it's weird to say that they they're in poor form considering mm. how good they've been playing this year. But that's, considering they won on five the, in a row, <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. It's just considering <laughs> that the rest of the season, obviously at the start of the season, they were winning four, five, six nil, seven nil, and that slowed the scoring slow, slowed down a little bit. It's definitely really interesting. It's going to be good. That comparison between, as I say, the second team in England and Germany, it's going to be interesting to see how they sort of match up together. Um, those are the standout ties. The other ties are Shakhtar v Anderlecht, Basel v Sevilla, Villarreal versus Bayer Leverkusen, Bilbao versus Valencia. We've also got Sparta v Lazio, and finally Fenerbahce versus Braga. So those are the standout ties. I think it's going to be a great round of 16. A round of 16 that's just gone, or the first legs of which have just gone with the Champions League. Lawrence, uh, the big match, yeah. of course, we were covering uh, on the Football Republic, on the TFR Live this week. Barcelona v Arsenal. A little bit of reaction from you there because it, it sort of went the way people were expecting and Arsenal fans have been speaking. Uh, there's a slight weariness of this sort of Groundhog Day situation where the same thing always happens for Arsenal. First leg of the round of 16, yeah. the tie's almost always over already. Yeah, um, I mean, it only feels over because they're playing Barcelona. I think very simply, um, Arsenal are still in this because of the scoreline. Mm. Okay, you actually think they, they could come back into this one? Despite conceding two at home, they're going to go to the new camp. I, I think if Arsenal score first, then then the, the ties back on. If Barcelona score first, I think Barcelona are through. Dave, what do you think? Do you think I don't think Arsenal are actually going to score. I mean, what was the mad stat we reeled off that they're they're thirty three games unbeaten, they scored one hundred and eight goals, and they've con- Barcelona have conceded something like fifteen in that entire run. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't even bet on Arsenal to score against. No, I think it's yeah, I, I can kind of agree with that. Um, at the moment, the Barcelona team are looking superior as always. With this front three, is, is pretty incredible. But yeah, I can't really see any way back for Arsenal at all. With the, I just they, they're not quite there. They don't quite have the right mixture. Uh, Santi Cazorla is a massive loss for this side as well. Mm. You know, it, 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 I think it would have been a little bit would have been a bit different if he'd been playing um, in the home leg. But I think it, it's already over. Really, do you think? So I've seen a lot of uh, reaction um, five live and obviously Arsenal fan TV this week. Arsenal fans have got the usual scapegoats. They're complaining about Giroud. They're complaining about Flamini, obviously, who did give away that penalty that almost buried the tie. But what, what could Arsenal be doing differently to compete with Barcelona? 
you see Arsenal fans saying we need to sign a world-class striker, you know, we need two or three world-class players. Is that really going to bring them up to the level to compete with Barcelona? Is that what Arsenal need to be doing? The fans were nervous. Everyone was nervous because it was such a massive game. I think Arsenal need to get back to that sort of... They maybe need to sign some sort of you know proven title winner in a way, someone, a leader. Again, we, you know, since the days of Vieira, they, they've lacked a leader, but it really feels like they need someone that's won everything. Do you know what I mean? You see, like a Xabi Alonso or someone like that that's sort of done it and adds experience, instantly adds experience to this side. Obviously, Permit Saka was brought in to add that experience, but it's mm. just not good enough at that level. We see Petr Cech, obviously, you could argue, is a world-class signing at the back. Do you think if they had one in defence, one in midfield, one up front, that would sort of bring them up to the level where they could compete with Barcelona or Barcelona just from another planet almost? You can't compete with those front three. I definitely think they need a centre-back. 100% they need a centre-back. Um, full, you know, in these bigger games, it shows that Per obviously he's a experience but he's, he's he's not mobile enough to you know come up against mm. the likes of Lionel Messi um, and he's making the wrong decisions as well there was a moment where the, was it the penalty where he could have just got rid could have cleared it and it seems like I don't know why he tried to play it out or whatever maybe that's a Wenger thing as well but in that situation you've just got to get it out against uh, you know a front three that's so dynamic and agile mm. and all quite small I didn't realise how, how short Neymar was little lad yeah, I, I thought Neymar, I, for some reason I thought Neymar was over six. I don't know why, you know, you sort of think of these things, but he's, he's less than six foot. So it's, they are oh, small, yeah. and in that situation, you've just got to go. Got to get it out. You can't dilly-dally because they'll press you. They'll nick the ball in those areas, and then they'll kill you, which is what happened, right? It is indeed. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the second time. I do not give them any chance whatsoever, but we'll certainly be back the week after next. Maybe a few previews, maybe a few reviews on the old YouTube channel there. So definitely watch out for that. Other news this week that we should probably discuss, Lawrence, is that Antonio yeah. Conte looks like he's going to be the next Chelsea manager. He's apparently been holding talks for the club. Yeah, I don't, I don't know enough about Conte mm. uh, to sort of uh, to kind of look at how he's going to cross over with Chelsea. Mm. I, I know he's, I know he sort of sits in that top bracket of managers, um, but I, I don't know enough about him as sort of a personality to know how he's going to fit in at, at Chelsea. I'm surprised that he has become the main man because I was expecting Simeone to be the man. Apparently, he, he's proving difficult to tempt away from Atletico Madrid, um, which certainly makes sense. But Conte, uh, he's obviously been out of the, the club game since he left Juventus. His contract does run out at the end of Euro 2016, Dave. So it does make sense why, why he would move to Chelsea. But can you see why Chelsea are interested in him? He's proven. He's proven winner. I think that when he... Went to Juventus to sort of kickstart these four Scudettos in a row. Mm. He brought a real winning mentality. You, you, you listen to all the players, and they all, you know, it was Conte that brought that in. Um, they do play a good style of football, but again, it's weird. Like they, they Chelsea chased Guardiola for how you know for years and years and years, and obviously they've not got him now. So it seems like the reason why Conte's uh, going to be Chelsea manager is because he's the only option, right? Mm. Well, they can't get they can't get Mourinho. Um, Allegri doesn't want to go. Simeone doesn't want to go. Pep's gone to um, City. Yeah. Uh, Ancelotti's gone to Bayern. You see, there's just, it seems like they're running out of options. There's and now a dearth of options. They're kind of going back to that. Def- Again, Conte's a defensive manager. You know, he loves a 3-5-2. Is Abramovich going to like that for you know, three, four years? It just seems like another really bad mismatch for Chelsea and poor management from the top. Well, the, the, one of the criticisms that was levelled at uh, Conte after he left Juventus was the fact that he failed to get past the quarterfinals in the European Cup, and of course, uh, you know when Allegri takes over, they're all of a sudden in the final. Having said that, it was three consecutive Serie A titles in a row. You know he's, he's undefeated in competitive games. This league manager, 
So he certainly has the pedigree. But like you say, it's, it's almost like that there's, there's only a few options out there in terms of elite managers. Mm. And their futures have been decided. Maybe this is the only one they could sort of, if they couldn't get Simeone, and Pochettino may be difficult to tempt away from Spurs, then maybe this is their only option. Yeah, I think that's it. And what, a manager that does kind of also fit into this bracket is Brendan Rodgers. <sighs> he's Newcastle, mate. He's, he's, he's going Newcastle. He's, I'm telling you. This, well, uh, before the end of the season, or at the end of the season, he, he's get on the phone to get on the phone to David Moyes. Get him in. Don't you worry. Um, how about a little bit, of, a few little transfer rooms then before we wrap up? Because there's been some pretty interesting ones. I'd say. Um, first up, one that uh, sounds interesting to me, Dimitri Payet to Arsenal. And this one was in... Yeah? The Do you Metro. think that works? Now, my initial thoughts are, Arsenal, the last thing they need is a midfielder, let alone an attacking midfielder. <laughs> but, Dimitri Payet is 28 years old. He's soon to be 29. I think we've, you know, we've said this before. This is the last chance for a big move for him. Yes, he just signed a big contract, but maybe, you know, how these things go when we saw uh, Suarez do the same at Liverpool it just meant that the club was going to get a, a suitable price for him when a bigger club came calling so although it might be difficult to imagine him going to Arsenal who don't necessarily need that player do you think Lawrence that maybe for Pia it's a good move at his age to when he's in the form of his life to move to a club where he may be able to play Champions League football yeah, he's getting quite old now, though, isn't he? Well, That's my only thing. Is is it a one-season peak? Is it one of those sort of Premier League one-season peaks? Maybe. So you don't want to pay 30, 40 million for him. Because, as you say, there's, no, there's not that. Although he is, uh, Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, what's his stat about uh, assists? He's the, the top five. Um, so he's created the most chances in the European top five leagues for the last like, two seasons. Two seasons? Um, I thought the, yeah. the period was longer. Oh, it probably, you know, probably does go back further than that. Yeah, so he does have... He's, he's got calibre, definitely. Although he's in the, the season of his life right now, there is a sustained period of, mm. uh, you know, uh, the level of play. Can you, where, where do you think would be a good place for him to end up, Dave? Arsenal doesn't seem like a, like a potentially a, a good fit in terms of the, the overload of talent they've already got in those positions. Uh, I think that... I, I Don't say can't see him leaving. I can't see him leaving West Ham, right? Really? I just can't see it, no. I just, it's one of those things where I just... It looks like he's found a home. Um, yeah. and he, he'd be silly to leave really be silly to leave and he said he's not going to leave he's committed to the cause that is what Fabian Delph said admittedly but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's not that. <laughs> the other interesting one that's come up maybe as a sort of a superstar replacement for, for Pyatt at West Ham at the Olympic Stadium next season Zlatan today is being linked for the move <laughs> to West Ham what do you think of that one, Dave? Did you see that one? See Good that move. Coming Love up. it. Yeah, great move. Signing he is, off. You know, his contract's up. He's, he's, <laughs> he's ready to move at the end of the season. He's hinted it could be the Premier League. We were expecting Chelsea, Arsenal, West Ham, though. Uh, that would be so funny. Dimitri Payet yeah. off Zlatan Ibrahimovic. They'll like fill that Ham. Olympic Stadium. It'd just be great. The, 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 uh, the, the one stumbling block could potentially be the wages. Apparently he's asking, you know, £120,000 a week. Is that it? That's quite a small amount for a player of Zlatan's quality. He is 34, though, is he not? No, but he's, you know, only Suarez has been directly involved in more goals this season in European top five leagues. So the calibre's definitely there. There's the stats, mate. That's why he's here. Yeah, basically, it's also a big marketing campaign, I think, isn't it? Trekking. (laughs) Well, I mean, if you get Zlatan, you sell a lot of shirts. Exactly. Mm. So that's why you, you bring that guy in. You know, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've said it before. I think I've said it before on this podcast. I bring him in at Liverpool purely because, um, 
he's a he's a big name, and you can kind of you can sell a lot of that, and it's sort of a mixture of all those different things. It makes any sense any team that he says he wants to play for instantly becomes like elevated. Um, mm. The other news, of course, bit of transfer news: Neymar's apparently signed the new five year deal at Barcelona. There's a lot of speculation about him going to you know, Manchester United, Dave, uh, yeah. Manchester City, Real Madrid, <laughs> even. But now ESPN in Brazil are sort of reporting that he signed a new five year deal. Uh, he's the club's second highest player, second only to Lionel Messi. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And it makes sense. Why would you leave Barcelona when you're part of the best attack? Potentially in football history, why are you then going to go to Manchester United and link up with uh, with uh, Rooney and uh, Depayla? Whoa, mate! You got I mean, Marcus no, as well. A, it was a bit of a slight. I'm, I apologise. <laughs> but yeah, it makes sense, right? Yeah, it does. It does make sense. Apparently, he's, hasn't he got um, a bit of issues with his finances as well? He's got to get a little bit yes. more money because he's, he's got to pay so, some money back. I've heard. You know. Yeah, a bumper contract definitely yeah. uh, <laughs> definitely won't harm him there as he, he tries to solve his tax issues. How about uh, one final bit of transfer rumour? Mauro Icardi, Dave. Uh, Ooh, Mourinho yeah. is apparently desperate to make him his first signing uh, in the summer because we all know he's coming in, maybe, potentially. Uh, Tuto Sport are claiming this one. Uh, what would you make of Icardi? Mm. Yeah, I like Icardi. He's a, he's a good man. striker. He's a very old-school striker. Um, his finishing's pretty decent. Higuain's the only player that scored more goals in the last two years in Syria. Um, he's a player that likes to get him behind. This uh, Inter Milan team as well this season haven't been creating chances, quite similar to this Man United team at the moment. So mm. if he could do it uh, in a Mancini Inter team, he could, you know, you can apply that to, the, you know, not creating that many chances in this current United team. Obviously it's going to change with Mourinho. Be interesting to see what Mourinho does. I really do think he should go back to a, the 4-3-3 that, you know, won him the, his first title at Chelsea, really. I think that mm. suits, suits Man United. Really? <laughs> Final bit of transfer news is Arsenal apparently chasing Serge Aurier, uh, infamous uh, Periscope user Serge Aurier. It's Don't see that one happening. They've got Bellerin, who's he's coming to his own in that right back spot. Is Wenger really going to bring him in? I still think they're, they're going to try and make a bit of money from Aurier. China, mate. They're just going to flog him off to China. It makes it makes sense for them to sort of do that, but also yeah. I guess that's the point is they just want to sell him for as high a uh, transfer fee as possible, right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, anyway, listen, that rounds up uh, the news, the transfer gossip for this Friday. We're now going to move on to the talking point with the man, the myth, the legend, Kristen Hennig, to talk about the outcome of the FIFA elections today. Lovely introduction there, Adam. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Good evening. Just this evening, Infantino has won the FIFA presidential elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot to cover here, and we've been discussing this for about an hour before we got down to recording, so sorry the podcast is late. Um, but it, is it Gihani Infantino's 45 from Switzerland? 
and was previously the UEFA Generi, uh, General Secretary, mm-hmm. is now the head of the largest football organisation in the world, Chris. He is. And I must confess, I found it quite funny that in his acceptance speech or whatever you want to call it, yeah. he said that everyone will applaud us and you for what we will do in FIFA. And it for what and he also says something yeah, he was like, I want I want everyone in this room to be proud. And you're sort of like, that's not the speech I want to hear from the guy who's sort of who's come that doesn't sound like change to me. That just sounds like a load of uh, you know, sort of backslapping. Yeah, it, essentially I think that's what it is. It's it's self congratulation because a lot of the people he was addressing are the people that got them into the mess and, and forged the perception that they hold now as a corrupt body. So you could very easily argue, I would say, that that in itself, that statement alone, shows the real lack of understanding and self-awareness that's present in FIFA, even now with this new president, with this potential new era that we're being told about. Mm-hmm. Let's start within this. I mean, that is also part of it, though, isn't it? I mean, you, you just look at his acceptance speech, and it was mm-hmm. it's supposed to be sort of motivational, isn't it, for all those people in that room? You know, mm-hmm. you sort of imagine him kind of trying to g everyone up it's just a little bit bizarre really because actually most people watching him from the outside are sort of going this i mean you know the system is broken it's not you know it's not about electing someone new within this system we're not happy with the overall thing because if you look at the pros of this guy i mean you know he was a wonderful administrator in some people's opinion for uefa if you look at the way that uefa was run and you're looking from a perspective of someone who wants to run an organization in that fashion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he obviously speaks a lot of languages. Apparently he's fluent in, in, fluent in a lot of European languages, including uh, French, German, Spanish, and Italian. And he's made UEFA more of a sort of world player, if you like. But the criticisms of all that would be along the lines of, you know, you, essentially he's done that through making pacts with many devils along the way. Exactly. One of the biggest issues with him is his closeness to Michel Platini. And the fact that, essentially, he's in this race because Platini was banned and essentially had to drop out. Mm-hmm. And he even said himself, if that ban had been overturned, he himself would have dropped out the race. And yet... But he doesn't call me from his hotel room every day. No, of course. Some team, sometimes we'll meet on the side of uh, bulletproof glass. <laughs> he cries. What? Um, the orange really does bring out the colour in his eyes, though. I just want to reiterate, he's not in prison. He's just not allowed near football, which is as good as... In many ways, for, mm. for us fans, I think that's a great way to put it. What I would say is as well is that I find it curious that he can essentially perform those set of actions and yet stand there straight-faced during a CNN interview and say that he really wants this job and, and this was something that he's kind of strived to, to try and achieve because I think the two can't coexist. You can't essentially say, oh, well, I will, I'll drop out of this race if, if Michelle's ban is, is overturned. And then equally say that you really want it because you wouldn't be willing to drop out if that was the case. Mm. You would accept that this was the path and you had made a commitment to it. So, Well, I mean, if he'd say it's down to the greater good, really, wouldn't he? That, that, you know, that he sees the greater good as just one of their people being in and that they can make a change. And, you know, so some people, might, some people would argue that's positive. But at the same time, some people would, then would argue, yeah. is this just a foot soldier of someone sort of stepping in? It's almost like a sort of exactly. um, a, a mafia sort of thing, you know. One exactly. of the, as long as one of the family's in there, I'm not saying he's part of a mafia <clears> or uh, anything like that, but you know, as long as one of them's in, then everyone's happy, you know? 
Exactly. You've, you've, you've nailed it there, there yourself in the sense that, again, we look at what Platini is being charged for, being brought up for. This is someone who's a confidant of his, who is very mm-hmm. close to him. Mm-hmm. And whether you consider guilty by association a, f- a fair way to evaluate someone or not, you have to accept there's a conflict of interest there at least. That realistically, do you want someone leading up the organization, claiming to take it into a new direction when he spent so long under the tutelage of someone who took it into such a, a bad direction. There are lots of uh, little things that, again, don't pay to him in the best light. He was, uh, I believe, working with Vero Communications, mm. a company that looked after Qatar 2022's bid. Uh, they looked after Rio 2016. A lot of bids Brilliant. that, again, have frailties to them and have a lot of questions still to be answered. Yeah. And he's pr- so, it, again, it's hanging out with the wrong kids at school, essentially, if, if you want to look at it that way in the sense that there are certainly issues and questions that I think need to be answered. Do you, do you, still, have that list, do you still have that list of people they represent? Yeah, I've, I've, I've actually got it in front of me. They yeah. represented Qatar 2022. Brilliant. The, uh, the strap line for which was, look over there. <laughs> Rio 2016. Look the over Olympic, there. Uh, campaign. The Aspire Academy is another one. Um, Sport England. Uh, look over and there. They, they do actually take care of um, campaigns for people attempting to be elected and if you go on their front page their leading story is celebrating the winning campaign of Seb Coe IAAF president Brilliant. someone who also is currently entrenched in the scandal and the idea of being not the most honest man in athletics mm. so it's it's a concern again it's it's the notion that a lot of people some of whom don't even give this any passing thought utter that nothing changes because the people are still the same. A lot of the people are still the same and that you are not destroying a culture by removing a few of the people that benefited from that culture. Yeah, and I guess that's part of the problem, isn't it? Is, you know, we're looking and speaking as if the, on the inside of this culture, that's, this is therefore a positive thing because you know, winning is seen as a good thing, right? Um, but you know, essentially when he was up there, it, what would have what that would have meant is that he would have had to win over. He won a f- 115, I think, in the end of the 207 votes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was 207 because maybe some people had did a couple of people abstained from voting, or maybe the countries that were represented by etc. Um, and so he basically won by by uh, over half of the people there. But that would have meant he would have had to win a lot of Africa. He obviously, a lot of people are saying he was, he had some sort of Eurasian uh, pact almost going on. Um, And I guess that's my problem, Chris, is that actually a lot of this has echoes of almost like um, a, almost like a a capitalist, uh, a capitalist colonialism, if you will, where it's sort of like, look, if we conquer Africa and bring them with us, Mm -hmm. then we've got everything we need. But that doesn't, you know, so, you know, whilst he was a very good administrator and a really good guy at politics, he's still embroiled in a lot of the politics, which is also sort of going against everything that FIFA should stand for. Certainly, that was that was something CNN actually put to him, the idea that he's, he struck these pacts and that if certain candidates were elected, he would then be offered a similarly high-placed job and, and it would essentially be backslapping for everybody. Mm. There's also the concern that when you actually, I think in these kind of elections, sometimes we can get mired in the personality and Which essentially what, 
what mud we can throw at them instead of what they stand for and what they plan to actually do should they be elected. In the case of Infantino, money is a big aspect of his plan. He, he intends to cut World Cup expenditure. He intends to really refine the tender process as well and essentially invest that money back into the respective regions. And I, th I think it's five million every five years for each country's FA and I think 40 million over the same period for each continent's uh, footballing body. So who, who would you have voted for if you if you had the chance? Say you're you know you're one of the uh, you know you're someone you're someone like the United States. Who have you who would you have voted for? The concern is there's not a wealth of great candidates. Even Jerome Champagne. <laughs> it's who, funny you use the word wealth. <laughs> the thing is, even Jerome Champagne or Champagne, the the candidate that I personally would have looked, leaned towards has major concerns in the fact that he spent 11 years working for Black. Brilliant. It, it's that idea of, again, you're, you're pulling the leaves of the weed, not the root. That's the issue here, is that you're pulling the people who are the most prominent. You're not actually delving in and removing the entirety of it. So it, there's every chance that it just grows back in a different form a few months later. So, what, I mean, overall then, what is the... I know what, what's what's the conclusion with that because you know these guys it, it almost feels a little bit like the banking crisis to me that you know it was sort of like okay well you know you guys bail us out uh and you know we'll, we'll all look the other way for a little while we'll all be a little bit embarrassed and pretend to be even more embarrassed and then we'll all just get back to what we were doing before which is to hold the same election within the same system which we know was corrupt before so with the I same people who backed corrupt people I think in the banking world, the, the potential solutions were much easier in the sense that you break them up, you tax them more heavily, you demand transparency. I think realistically you can only ask for the third one in relation to FIFA. You can demand more transparency. You can potentially set up boards to oversee them and arbitrate and make sure that they stay within the lines. You then have to hope that that pool of water stays clean as well. That's the difficulty. You also really can't just sweep away 200 or however many people because, again, you have to fill those spots with people that actually know what they're doing. And but, I think but when you say know what they're doing, when you say know what they're doing, though, Chris, is the problem not that these people claim to know what they're doing and they may be the best qualified people. But the problem is that with that, you don't just get just what they do. You get everything else that goes with that. You get the you know, the, the backslapping and the, the, the politics that people play, the self-interested politics that people play mm. to get to this position. So, so what, what, what do you do yeah. then? I, I see what you mean. I mean, look at Prince Ali bin Al Hussein. There's a lot of talk that nepotism has got him to where he is. not really a, a brilliant What makes CV. you say that about the prince? <laughs> about the king of Jordan's son. Um, or the former king of Jordan, excuse me. Sorry. That's the last thing I need a lawsuit from those guys. Um... It's a, it is a genuine concern, and I think you're right in saying that a good resume does not make a good employee. Actions make a good employee. Good LinkedIn makes a good employee. I think the issue as well that, that we have is that I think more and more people are just stopping, essentially stopped caring. There's a lot of apathy surrounding FIFA at present. That's, that's the overriding emotion I get when I read things on social media and, and take these things in, that yes... The spectacle of the election is one thing, but day-to-day, week-to-week, when there's not a major tournament nearby, when there's not an announcement to be made, 
I think people just have general apathy. As long as the the sport itself, the action that we see is entertaining, feels like it's evolving, that's completely fine. I think one of the things that um, helped Infantino, he talked about CONCACAF in very glowing terms and said it has ma- major potential, it's an exciting place and he wants to invest in grassroots, period, especially in CONCACAF. I'd be surprised if that didn't convince Sunil Gulati to switch his vote for Infantino. Sure. Again, these are, these are all words at this precise moment, and it, it does go back to what we started with, the idea that in that celebratory speech, it did almost feel as if nothing's changed to them. You're getting that a they car. Essentially... You're getting a car. You're getting a car. <laughs> um, when I say FIFA, you say fix. <laughs> FIFA, um... fix, fix. Oh, wait, wait. No, which way around are we singing that? <laughs> it, it's an issue because, again... To them, it seems as if, for those who remain, they have accepted and want to project the idea that they are absolved of blame and that all of those who departed the scene were all of those who were responsible, were all of those who were complicit. We've all made sacrifices. Some of us have lost some very close friends here. It's, it's the, the saying, you know, bad actions are made worse when good men do nothing. I'm paraphrasing it slightly, I admit. It, it's that idea of, again, if you knew what was going on and didn't do anything, you're as bad as the ones who did it. Or you, you and, know, you, you're, not in, you're not in the best light, let's put it that way. Mm, and that's, that's the problem, is that even within this, in many ways you can argue the FIFA elections reflect politics in many ways. Mm-hmm. In the sense that when it comes to a major election, we don't see a grand scope. Perhaps slightly in America with... Bernie Sanders, slightly in England with Jeremy Corbyn, we have a little bit of scope. But look at the way they're portrayed relative to those around them as kind of mavericks, as kind of unelectable, you know, socialists who who clearly have no idea how to actually run a country. Hmm. They're seen as just someone to get the flies moving around the box. Surely that's part of it, Chris, is that, uh, you know, there's a great saying by the um, sort of social technological theorist. And, you know, at some point, essentially it works. The one thing that a fish has no idea about is water, um, you know, because it exists in it. It, it is everywhere, you know, um, mm. and it's until they go to the surface and find out, you know, the fallibility that they just sort of keep swimming around. And that's part of it is that actually they've got their own goldfish bowl they exist in. And they're, you know, they're basically and that's why I'm talking about this kind of colonial attitude is that it doesn't really seem to care about the countries it's going to. It mm-hmm. seems to care about what it can get from those countries that it's going to. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair point. What, Definitely. So, like, but that, surely then that's not reform. No, it's not. And, and essentially, there is the very crux of the issue, is that how can you genuinely claim reform when so many of the characters in scene one are still present. Sure. Remorse, regret, they're great. But the people in question still engage in the actions, whether they did it intentionally or through ignorance to what was going on. Intentional ignorance, essentially. And they're not qualified for the job. Exactly. I mean, you know, you don't know if ignorance is, uh, in, is you know, intended or not. But even then... Either way, it's been done. Yeah. Exactly. 
Okay, therein lies the problem: is that so many people let it slide, and and yet we still have Sepp Blatter giving endorsements to, to Infantino as as being a great successor. And it does seem as if there's there's some really chronic ignorance and lack of self awareness in that entire organization even now. Does it seem that there's a lot of people who are actually invested sort of in the media as well? I mean, there's a lot, there's a huge media side of things that, you know, essentially it, it is, it's not like a bully, but they do have a lot of the influential guys on their side, which makes it hard to, um, criticize them. You know, if you want to be mm. in with us, you know, if you want to, if you want to get in with the guys who sponsor our competitions, I wouldn't say anything bad. That, that lie, or therein, excuse me, lies one of the major issues as well, is that superficially it seems a fairly well-run organization. It's, it's founded on democracy, the idea that one nation, one vote, so everything is decided in a fair way. It's not founded on that, but yeah. I mean, is it also not true that, you know, there are some more influential states than others? I know we've got this overall voting system, but when it comes down to choosing the World Cup and stuff and... Uh, let me find, there was another article that I read not long ago by Marcotti, uh, Gab Marcotti, it seems to be the the, um, the the big voice on this, and rightly so, because I think you know he's read more than a lot of other journalists and a lot of other people covering it right now, but essentially what he was saying the other day is that when it comes down to making the decisions, on you know it's not the whole organisation that does it, it is uh, Infantino that will be bringing in his own guys, and there is a board of people on which the original members were Northern Ireland, Wales, Scotland, and England, and they always sit on the board with an equal vote to uh, four other members. Now I can't remember who those other members are, but even then, that's incredible to think that they, you know, we're still keeping the same structure. It may be not even a criticism of the people, but it's it's sort of how people get away with things through bureaucracy because they still go, well, it's a system. You know? Exactly, and it, it it's a it's a faux democracy in that sense. The second you get block voting, essentially, you destroy the idea of democracy. It's a FIFO democracy, and again, the fact that let's take Tokyo Sexuality as an example, someone that wanted to put sponsorship on international shirts, you have to question. Really? I don't, where, where do people come up with it? We need something to run on. Make some shit up, okay? Uh, sponsorship on international shirts, brilliant. Put it in. Again, I, I think Infantino, while not as rogue in his policies or narrow, maybe not narrow-minded, but ill-conceived in his policies, there are certainly some that I think are pandering to, to people that he, gets, that he wants votes from. The implementation of technology, things like that. Small little things. The way he talks about the women's game, I think it's all very vacuous. Yeah. In the sense that he talks about it's not about just giving them money it's about generally generating an interest and investing it in the right ways those are all meaningless phrases there's nothing within those statements that says this is how i'm going to do it and and in general personally that's my issue with politics of, of this kind of kind of government in general is that it's a lot of sound bites that look great in a newspaper but they don't actually explain to you how the process will begin. What are some of your plans? Because the thing is, it's not like, for example, when we pitch a video or we pitch an article, someone can steal it and pass it on. If someone steals your idea and you've put it onto the public like that, 
you're going to get credit for the idea. People are going to say, well, maybe we should start to listen to him. But for some reason, we just get caught in this echo chamber of making the right statements, filling out the bingo card of what needs to be said. We need more technology. We need to improve the support and infrastructure of the women's game. He's big on CONCACAF. I would have loved him to talk about the fact that we need to make it so the team that won the Women's World Cup is not getting less every year in funding than the men's team. Because that's the current state of affairs with the US men's and women's team. The men's team gets more money, yet comparatively in terms of achievement, the women's team has far outstripped them. And you would think, well, surely you get more money then so you can maintain that level so you can improve further. But that's just not the way it works at present, and it, that needs to change. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem, isn't it, really, that the, the change isn't really coming in this election. And actually, you know, essentially the FIFA is at the head of something that isn't... Um, well, I mean, you know... It, there are some good things he's doing. I'll give him that. He's, he's looking to reform certain elements. He wants to replace the executive committee with a new FIFA council that is restricted... Uh, terms of office for presidents so you quite literally can't have the kind of run that, that Sepp Blatter has had there are drawbacks to that in the sense that if you do have someone who is genuinely good it seems unfair to stop them uh, yeah but I mean then you'd say that other people will see that idea and run on that uh, and exactly. take that on but the point would also be with that it it's a little bit well welcome to what we've all been thinking for a while do you know what I mean I mean, it's, it's well and good saying that's a great thing, but it's sort of saying, yeah, but you're bringing up to the basics here. Do you know what I mean? He's basically, mm. what he's basically saying is I'll make people proud of us by bringing it, by doing the things that everyone's already expected. Essentially, he's doing the Chris Rock line of you're supposed to, you know? Mm-hmm. I bring, I look after my kids. You're supposed to, you know? Exactly, exactly. I, I stand down for my presidency. You're supposed to. It is a fine line between giving them credit for doing what they're supposed to do and what we've expected them to do for years, how much credit do you genuinely give for that? That's, that's the, that is the fine line in the sense that you don't really want to just give them stick all the time. Eventually, you have to give them carrot. And it's at what point you start to do that. Because again, like I say, some of the ideas make a lot of sense. The implementation of technology is a very good one. I can use CONCACAF as a good example because it's the one I personally study more in depth. They're thinking of trialing that in the lower leagues in the United States. Mm-hmm. Again, that's, a, that's another good positive step forward. The problem is, and I think this is why we relate so many of the issues with FIFA back to government, is how long it takes, how much needless bureaucracy we perceive in the process in relation to implementing technology in terms of making sure that the women's game has the necessary infrastructure to support those players as genuine professional athletes so that they have all of the, not necessarily trappings, but all of the support that they need to perform at their peak level to then further grow the game as well so that fans feel as if they genuinely are watching these athletes at their peak and not at their peak while also having to maintain a full-time job because you have bills to pay and a family to take care of. That's a very good point. That's a very good point because a lot of, I guess, how much of this conversation has actually been about football, Um, you know, and not the things that, you know, the community attached to it or close to it or just that just sort of pay lip service to it very often. Um, Mm. Let us us know. In many ways, that's, you know, you you talk about the Republican debate. I watched that this week Mm. as another good example so much of that is spent essentially taking pop shots at the other c- candidates 
and telling you why you shouldn't vote for them rather than why you should vote for themselves. And I, I give credit to John Kasich, I believe his name is. He's one of the few that actually doesn't really engage in that, him and Ben Carson. Um, I mean, Ben Carson could talk a glass eye to sleep, but at least he stays true to not taking pop shots and actually constructing any kind of repost like that or rebuttal or anything with relation to the issues and the facts and such like. Yeah. And that's something I think we could ask of, of FIFA as well, is to actually just get back to the football. It, it sounds so simple, so obvious. It's also what needs to be done. Well, Chris, uh, we would love to hear what everyone else's views are as well. Let us know on Twitter. Uh, obviously, I can include Chris in the conversation alongside at the front three, the number three. Chris, where can they find you? At K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. And that link is in the description below the SoundCloud and obviously on iTunes as well. You probably will find it on our Twitter as well. Uh, go take a look there now, guys. Thank you very much for joining us this week. Obviously, Adam and Dave are also on the podcast as part of the front three. Uh, we'll see you again real soon right here. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.